We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to the Wombo Combo Podcast, episode number four. Happy to be here on what is a beautiful day, at least where I live, hopefully where you live as well, and ready to enjoy some more Dota content, competitive Dota 2, of course, that's the focus of the show as always, and this week we definitely have some things to talk about, maybe not as long of a show as as the past weeks, but still some good content, including some pretty big news from uh, one of the teams there, but before we get into all of that, of course, introducing my co-host, the one and only BSJ, how you doing, buddy? I am doing great. You know, I got a lot of sleep last night. I wouldn't go so smoothie. I worked out today. I'm feeling, I think the term is freaky, freaky fresh. You know what I'm saying? I don't know what you're saying. No, I've never okay. heard that well, term you know, before. I feel, I'm feeling good, you know? <laughs> that's good to hear. That That's good to hear. Uh, no, I, I, I'm i feeling great as well. And, uh, again, the Dota 2 uh, scene went through a, a pretty big change this week. Uh, overall, there wasn't a lot that happened. Like I said, we had the minor results, which we'll talk about and give our take on how that played out. But I think the best way to lead this week is with uh, the pretty big roster change news of well, one of the teams that ended up qualifying for the minors, spoiler alert there, but Quincy Crew, Sumail, no longer a part of the roster. Uh, very interesting wording as well uh, with Jack, uh, KBBQ, he's of course the team manager. From the sound of it, it almost sounded like it was it was a fairly mutual decision, but really interesting nonetheless where Sumail, no longer a part of the team, leaving the team is the word we'll use. And as a result, they're searching for a new offlaner. Well, they've apparently found a new offlaner just about an hour or so before we started this podcast. Saberlight coming over, formerly of Hippomaniacs even. He's going to be the position three substitute at the minor that they qualified for. Uh, and you are, of course, going to position one. But let's start off with Sumail, no longer part of the 
team. We mentioned if they don't qualify for the minor, then maybe we could see something ridiculous. I don't think either one of us saw this coming, the fact that they qualified. Yeah, it's, you know, when a relationship or something like that just goes to disaster and after the disaster happens, you like look back on it and you say, what were the red flags? What were the warning signs? And it's funny because there's so much you can see without if you're not looking for it, you're not going to notice it. And I was watching their game and Sumail was playing Jug in the best of five finals. This is the finals to qualify for the minor, by the way. Yeah. And he's playing Jug with a mag and he goes to Fusel Moonshark. <laughs> and I'm like, there's no way it, it's possible for him to think Moonshard's the best possible item build here. Hmm. And I watched the way he played the game and you'd really only know if you've been there, but like you could just tell he didn't care. And it was like really weird. So like I looked, I was like watching the game live and it didn't register to me at the time. And the only reason I'm bringing this up is because like, it seems so obvious when I look back at the way he was playing that game, sure. that this was going to happen. But I, I you, like you said, we're not even considering this as like a possibility. Like wh why would they, they just group, they just became a team. He's playing with his brother. Like, you know, I thought this was going to be, for the long haul, it sounded like CCNC when we had him as a guest on the podcast. It sounded like the whole yeah. team was kind of under the same <laughs> mindset of there's going to be some growing pains. You know, we're going to have to figure our stuff out. You know, we have a couple people moving roles. It's not going to be smooth, all that kind of stuff. And I just, uh, you know, I, I have to believe there's more to it, obviously, than what Jack is saying. You know, he said it's like legal issues or like it's a mutual decision. I just have to believe it wasn't working. You know, there has to be. I've been on teams, many a failure of teams where yeah. you uh, you just can't identify one particular thing. You can't identify what's wrong. And at that point, you just have to, you know, cut your losses. And whoever, like in this case, maybe Sumail just decided, I think this team isn't going anywhere. I'm done. <laughs> maybe there were some attitude issues. Maybe mm -hmm. it really is just legal issues. There's so much it could be, but it's crazy to me that this happened. And when it comes to like where is he going to end up now, the whole question is: is is he going to continue being a carry player? Was this like only on trial so that he could play with his brother and Quinn? Is this yeah. a, you know, is he going to go back to mid? There's so many question marks for him. I I assume that it's possible he might have gotten an offer too. That seems like a yeah hypothetical that yeah. could have happened. Somebody said like, hey, you know, what do you think about coming to our team? And then Sumail's like, well, that sounds better than what's happening right now, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> uh, sadly. But uh, yeah, there's so many questions in the air. Like you said, I I was shocked. I thought my viewers were trolling me when they told me uh, about the Reddit post. Uh, it's sad because we had such high hopes for this team, and it was like the one truly American team that I was really rooting for. So, and a Dota so man, I, we've been through this before. And uh, okay, so so to be clear, I I want to I want to quote what uh, KBBQ said again. Their team manager. To, so this is his words. To be clear, no, any one person was the quote, the problem, not Samail or anyone else. There are always complicated team issues and circumstances. We are thankful to Samail for both his contributions and his mentality. He clearly showed us why he's such an accomplished champion. So uh, and then there's actually another tweet that does say, and again, I quote, we tried to resolve our, our fit issues, but ultimately weren't able to do so to the point where everyone felt most comfortable and empowered to keep moving forward. Sumail will be leaving the roster while we search for an offlaner. So that was the initial then followed up by what I had said uh, the first time there. So, again, the vibe you do get from that. Yeah, we, we don't know 100 percent and we probably will never know. I mean, there's been plenty of these roster changes where, you know, we've kind of scratched our head before, like. 
like, well, what really happened? Well, we just never really will know. But it does sound like to me that there certainly were not feeling the most comfortable in this position issue. And it's funny you bring up that that game about the juggernaut because I, I cast one of their games in the in the group stages. And there, I remember this was actually against uh, – the Fighting Pepegas at the time, now the Fighting Pandas, they changed their name, but uh, they uh, he was playing Sven in that game, and he went first item Moonshard, and we're just sitting there like, okay, I mean, I, I think maybe somebody mentioned like, oh, Resolution used to do this, like, so this is normal, it's like, I don't think it's really normal, but okay, we'll see how this works out. Lo and behold, it didn't really work out. The team, that, that was again that they lost in the group stages, and it, it just really kind of didn't make sense. So I was going to bring up that in the sense of maybe this is his, you know, a little bit lesser experience in that position one role, or I think he may be onto something that he maybe just was in his own state of mind of, I'm just going to do whatever, have some fun, and uh, see what happens. Um, yeah, I'm not going to – I don't want to call people out. I've been on teams where uh, – I already tried to describe it earlier. You don't really know what you're looking for. And then later on, you look at the red flags and the next time around when something similar happens, you'll see it again. And I've been on teams where the, there's been players that were clearly not playing the way I was used to them playing. And every single time that happened within a week or two, they were on a different team because that team was recruiting them. <laughs> so I, this is just a hypothetical, obviously. This is just a guess. Yeah. But I, I wouldn't even doubt that he just saw a better opportunity. And this is what, ha or like he was done with this opportunity. One of those two options. He was either like he had given up hope internally on this opportunity or he had another one. Because um, I've seen it happen, I'd say, three times now, um, three different players, all of which within a week or two were just on a different team entirely. Um, and, it's it's palpable in terms of in the middle of game. You can't be you can't identify it as a player when you have a player on your team doing this. You can't be like, this is what they're doing. This is what they're doing wrong. And like you can just feel the difference between them trying super hard and kind of just going through the motions and sure. doing whatever. And it's uh, it's sad like that. It, but Dota is just such a defeating game. And I, I want to bring this up because. There's days like yesterday I was streaming and I I've been first pick spamming Kunga to try to that. practice and get better at him. And I just get counterpicked by four heroes and my both other side lanes lose. And I'm like, how is this happening? I'm getting really upset. And then my viewers are blaming me. And I feel like when things are going wrong, the only choice as a Dota player you have is to either embrace it and get like really depressed with it, like really sad or to just become apathetic to the entire situation. And I feel like that like pub mentality carries over to these teams where the players, the minute things like become out of their control or they don't feel invested in it anymore, sure. there's really no middle ground. You can't just stick through it. Like you either get miserable or you become of like apathetic to the entire thing. Isn't and it fair to say that that's a leadership crazy. issue then? It absolutely could be. I mean, there's all types of issues that could happen that lead to this inevitable outcome uh, with some of these teams that are destined for this. But I uh, like I played the WESG qualifiers over the weekend and we had Moo playing for us. It's like separate from competitive Dota. So it's not yeah. like he's leaving JSTORM or anything. Um and his leadership in the game makes it so much easier to play when 
times are tough. Like when we we were down by like seventeen thousand gold, and not and not a moment in the game where any of us panicked because we had Moo on the team saying this is what we got to do next. It's okay. Like the game sucks, but you know, wait for this or wait for our timing. We can do something with it, and that carries over to the whole team aspect too. So, like you said, leadership could absolutely be an issue if there's issues within the team. If nobody's giving like this clear cut path to fixing it then everyone in their mind is just second guessing what's going on they're second guessing their teammates they are harboring issues with their teammates because they, if they feel like they bring up the issues then it's going to make things worse yeah. so then people are like you know keeping it all bottled up and then eventually it just blows up and so it could be leadership it could be communication it could be like that's why there's really no better explanation from somebody like Jack when he says there's a lot of things that can happen with team dynamics um, in Dota. And it's crazy how psychological of a game Dota is. And it's funny because in real life, there's a lot of times where there's clearly somebody at fault, right? Like if somebody mm -hmm. messes up, it's pretty easy to be like, it's this problem person's fault. But Dota almost becomes like political in the sense that there's no definitive answer to who's wrong who messed up who needs to fix things who needs to change their way of thinking like there's so many correct ways to play dota differently that one mistake could be all types of factors and it's on the team to come to like a conclusion of who or what happened and that i know i kind of went on a long spiel here but that <laughs> whole that whole like summation of all the things i just talked about create this ridiculously complicated situation that sometimes you just need to cut your losses. Like, and I assume that's kind of what happened here just based on how quickly it happened. It had to have been something very drastic yeah. to, to have this happen. And it's sad. Somebody in my chat before the stream said, you know, what can we do to fix this on valve side or whatever? And it's funny to me because I don't think there's a way to fix this. Like I, I don't think other than maybe like better leadership, like overall, like I know OG has a counselor now or a therapist. I mean, a therapist. Yeah. Um, I, I think that in the future, esports are going to lead to that kind of thing. But there's just so many emotions running high. There's so much pressure. There's so much like not like a lack of, or I'll say just immaturity in general in these teams. Yeah. Uh, it's crazy. I, I'm done with my spiel, but <laughs> no, it's, it's 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 funny because you just have to throw in all this. Like, this is what it could be. This is what it could be. And it's like, yeah, well, that makes me stressed out <laughs> going going off. One of the points that you were making there and I, and I want to continue to delve further into is let's not forget that Sumail's coming from both a team and especially an organization and evil geniuses that's been supporting him as not only a player, but as a person for the last, what, four years now. This is true. He's still a very, very young, young guy. I want to say what he, he just turn 21 or he's not even 21 yet so he's yeah definitely around there yeah i, I believe so he's, he's still very young in that sense and he comes from that organization where i know people behind the scenes like phil and whatnot that were very supportive of him you know helped him out and of course fear comes to mind as well throughout those years and you look at the captains that he's had at both ppd specifically as well as uh as well as fly now more recently in, in terms of evil geniuses. So uh, two very respective and, and I feel like certainly people that uh, could help 
uh, when it comes to even the personal side of dealing with things. So, again, this is all speculative, but in the sense that he's still very young, um, and now this is his first time, not really first time, but it's been a while since he's kind of gone away from that very comfortable atmosphere. You, you certainly have to think that that in itself is also playing a role. And the fact that he joined it up with the team that I know they had intentions of, of course, being signed, and there's a very likely good chance that they'll still be signed by a solid organization, and maybe they'll have some kind of back in them behind the scenes to help that out. But that hasn't happened yet. And uh, again, I go back to that. That certainly has to be an uncomfortable feeling. So whether or not uh, he'll, he'll end up signing here with an actual organized, organized team, that's where I think we should be looking the most when it comes to Samael and the expectations of where he may end up next because I, I just I, I can't see him just joining a team for the sake of joining a stack and you know to see what happens he doesn't he doesn't scream like eternal envy in that sense to me that's not afraid to do that and you know whatever so um, let, let's try to jump on onto that side of the topic now in terms of okay he's done with this team where does Samuel end up because we're talking about one of the best players in the world right now um, now there's a couple of factors that come into play one you ideally have to have a position open for him but two contract right that that's that's the whole business and behind the scenes side of this that we, we don't really talk too much about but something tells me he's uh, he's a player and deservingly so that is going to require a fairly cozy contract uh along with of course prize winnings some sort of decent salary and there's not many teams slash organizations that can support that the only one for me that comes to mind that may work out right now is we've been talking about Team Secret a little bit. They didn't play this first cycle. There's been rumors of mid one possibly being replaced. With this happening, I got to wonder, is there something in the works here with Samuel possibly going to Secret? Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine any North American team that he's going to go to. So immediately comes to mind is Europe. That seems like the easiest transition in terms of language barrier, in terms of uh, like most people view Europe as just a superior version of NA in terms of quality of players. Uh, but that's also the problem, right? When you go into traditional sports, there's some of these really high profile players that have a hard time landing on a team because no team offers them enough money or like a good enough contract, yeah. like you said. And so I have to believe he's going to take the universe approach that was last year where once the team they're on kind of has this happen, uh, they'd rather not play than play on like a stack. Like you said, uh, I think those are the, his two choices are a big organization or not playing. Like when I say not playing, he's still going to play Dota and practice and all that kind of stuff, but he's going to wait for the right opportunity. And I, he, he's going to get it. Uh, I can't fathom Sumail not finding a team that wants him. Like even if it ends up not working out, somebody's going to give him a shot. He's the most mechanical. He's one, he's top three to four mechanical mid laners in the entire world. If not the best, you know, like that's arguable. In marketability. He's top three in terms of marketability. I think outside of China, maybe, but even within yeah. China, he certainly has a huge following. So yeah, there's, Absolutely. there's several factors. Yeah. I mean, he's a huge, he's an, he's a staple of the Dota two community. Uh, in terms of where exactly, I'm guessing Europe. I think Secret's reasonable. I think the old Liquid's reasonable. I don't know what they're doing with Weeha, yeah, true. Um, or like their entire roster roster in general. Um, but like I even said, he could be a safe laner now. Like, what if that's what he really wants? We don't know the dynamic behind how badly he wanted to safe lane. Was he wanting to safe lane for the team? Because we talked about with Quinn, uh, you know, 
you play you play the role that you think needs to work for the players you want to play with. So was he doing that for the team or was he playing carry because that's what he wanted and then the rest of his team adjusted to play with him? You know, what was the yeah. All I know is later that day before the announcement of Quinn uh, or of Sumail leaving that roster, I was in a private lobby. That was the day they did the matchmaking rework and nobody could find a game. Yeah. I was in a private lobby and you um, are was in my team and I was like, oh, I guess I'll go safe lane. And you are said like me safe lane or leave game, like something like that. <laughs> and it sounded just like very bad or whatever. And I was like, Jeez. sounds like you are looking forward to going back to the safe lane. Like that's <laughs> sounds like he was pretty fed up uh, with the off lane. So yeah. I'm guessing that Sumail really wants to play position one. Like that's really? what I'm guessing okay. uh, based on that alone. Like you like I got the impression from your that he only didn't play position one. Cause that's what Sumail wanted. And he wanted to play with his brother. Yeah. So I mean, Quinn, that's my guess. We had Quinn on again a couple weeks ago and he, and I was at least a little surprised by, by what he said that like your apparently wasn't one that made the point that he'll play off lane and you know, his brother could play safe lane. And then obviously Quinn in the mid lane. But again, we don't know the, the, the vibe of the conversation, I guess, or if he was just doing that just because he really wanted to play with his brother and thought that this yep. could be, make the sacrifice, whatever. So, but that's interesting that, that you're pointing that out, that uh, that's probably uh, could very likely be one of the reasons. And I will say this, he, he felt, it it seemed out of place. It really did uh, in the qualifiers. I don't know. It it's just when when you could tell, especially he was on like I remember there was a game where he was on the Magnus, for example, and it 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 felt like he he wasn't the most comfortable uh, on the offlane Magnus when it came to his initiating, when it came to his item choices. I remember being a little uh, baffled by some of the decision making there. So uh, obviously, very good player, but I it. Something was up, and uh, to see him back in the safe land where he's very, very comfortable with makes the most sense to me. So Yeah, it's just a mindset. Like, you can lane properly. You can play these heroes mechanically, but knowing the decision-making and, like, these clutch moments, where to be on the map, who to play around, like, what items to build, like you said, your role in the game, it's like a complete shift in mindset, right? Mm -hmm. So um, it's much easier, like, a, to theorize how to do it than it is to actually put it into practice, so... Uh, like I said, it doesn't take any way thing away from a player that they can't do that. I think like the only time players really do do that is when they realize, wow, maybe I'm just better fit for this. Like they realize all along, this may have not been the best role for them. Uh, something like an S4 type player. Um, but yeah, I, I, I've said my piece. Yeah. Uh, I look forward to seeing how this unfolds in the next I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure we'll know pretty soon. Well, well, PSG, they were one game away for qualifying for the major. That's what I baffles know. me the most. They literally took EG to three games. Like, if they qualified for the major, would this be happening, or would they've still had like that? That's a I crazy thing to think. I, I, I doubt this would be happening. This was know. the fate that I predicted for the fighting Papegas. Yeah, fighting true. pandas. The the fate of one thing going wrong and the team crumbling. I did not expect it to happen with this team. Um. Yeah. And did. for us, we think they're one game off the major. They made it to the minor. That doesn't sound that bad. But you're also talking to a TI winner who's yeah. been to every major <laughs> in the last, like, three years. <laughs> so yeah, they, their expectations uh, were understandably very high. Yes. Going into the season. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. Time-consuming, expensive. 
So many carriers to choose from. How do you know what you're making the best choice? That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. ShipStation works with all the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. And right now, Blue Wire podcast listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use offer code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card info. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, then enter offer code BLUE. ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. All right. Well, uh, on to the on to the next point. That again, we briefly mentioned it, but kind of going back to it now. His replacement, Saberlight. In fact, I see even somebody asking in chat, "Who's the Saberlight kid?" Well, he uh, I, I I saw the name, and and to be clear, so he's a substitute right now. He's not officially a player for the team. He's simply substituting right now, uh, and they're going to try him out as they're putting it for the minor. Um, but uh, he comes from uh, he comes from. Uh, I just lost her name now. Hippomaniacs, that's right. Yeah, he comes from Hippomaniacs. He actually is currently a part of Singularity over there uh, in the European region, but he is, uh, again, substituting for them. Coming from Hippomaniacs, this is a team that I I followed a fair amount a couple times throughout the last season. They were really fun to watch. Kind of one of these breakthrough teams, uh, up-and-coming players. Um, He's a true offlaner, so I am excited to see how he fits in with a really solid team like this, and even though he's not the biggest name, the fact that he is very comfortable in the offlane, he has a lot of experience in the offlane, in very recently i in, in ways right now i i see this as an upgrade i really do when it comes to yawar going back to position one and Saberlight in that position three again it's a tryout we'll see but just to give you a brief uh history on who he is there you go yeah i agree i, I think overall it's an upgrade i th- i was not a fan of yawar after watching him in the qualifiers in the offlane uh i mean he was one of the top gpms at ti like <laughs> yeah. he's just not an enabling type player he's the guy that takes the game over like that's just the type of player he is so uh i think even if he's quote unquote like it doesn't even matter who's better at carry him or Samail. it's like at this point you have an actual offlaner who's been playing offlane for a long time and that's that's a big deal in, in these team settings so um yeah i mean going into the minor we're gonna see a lot uh coming from a team like this like you know there's a high variance uh, we're gonna find out. They could either, you know, win the thing, win the whole tournament, go to the major, or they could bottom out in like fifth or eighth. And then suddenly, what happens with that? There's a lot of paths that this team could take in the near future. Well, that's a nice transition there, VSJ. Good job, because we're talking about the minor. There's the eight teams that are representing, of course, and uh, to go over that real quickly, out of the CIS region, of course, CIS in Europe, they each got two teams uh, as a result of them only getting the two teams from the major qualifiers. Uh, in CIS, you are looking at Virtus Pro as well as Hellraisers. Uh, out of Europe, you got NIP and Adfinum. In China, Invictus Gaming qualified. Out of Southeast Asia, Geek Fam qualified, a team that we expected almost at the major, but came, coming up short. But again, they're at the minor. Quincy Crew, of course, out of North America. And then Pain Gaming representing South America. So, um, quality teams. I mean, really, you look at several of these rosters. Of course, NIP, I think, is one of the more surprising ones that didn't qualify for the major, especially with this first cycle and the lack of top-tier European teams. But they are in the minor and, of course, expect big out of them. So, yeah, I mean, I don't want to preview the minor necessarily too much right now because, obviously, that'll be in a couple of weeks' show. But um, 
solid eight teams out of these eight were there any that really caught you off guard or is this kind of the expected in your mind i i would say that this almost proves the qualifiers are a good format uh this year if anything because i think the teams that we all thought were like you said on the brink of making the major or maybe we expected them to make the major all of them are in this like that's i think it's really cool i, I think the way this played out speaks a lot to the system it's just that the like there's a lot of variance for these top tier teams, whether or not they can actually make the major. But if you are a good enough team, you're going to the minor. And that's what like at the very minimum. I mean, Virtus Pro obviously expected NIP. I think they looked a lot worse in the qualifiers than we thought they would, but still a very good team nonetheless. And if you look at the competition in Europe, it's really not that high. Um, IG and CDEC had a pretty crazy back and forth series to come out on that one. So I think both teams were completely reasonable for making this tournament. Geek Fam, I thought was by far the clear favorite in SCA that didn't make the major. Same with Quincy Crew and NA, uh, Pan Gaming in South, South in South America. I think like yeah, that could be arguable that like they weren't looking that impressive. They dropped down to the lower bracket first round, but I, if you look at that roster, those are some of the most uh, you know you got HFN, you got 40R, Laylas. Uh, all these players are very well known South American players. So I like I, I like this. I, I you know I could have just said no. I don't think there's any surprises, but I do think that the system this year has played out really nicely. Yeah. And I look for like the minor has varied in quality. Like last year, last year, some of the minors were really meh. And I think this year, like I look forward to actually watching this minor um, with the caliber of teams that we have. That's a summit. Of course you're going to watch. You may even be there. Who, who knows, right? Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> true. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll figure that one out later. We'll find that out. But obviously, yeah, no, the Summit, it's, it's going to be a great event. It's their first official minor course, great at putting on events. Uh, but, yeah, the, the only maybe surprise I think you could say is the fact that Navi out of CIS not qualifying now. Of course, they didn't even qualify for the chance to go to the minor. Yeah, they, they weren't in the qualifier yeah. itself. That, that was something I thought about mentioning, but it's like yeah. they kind of screwed themselves there. I think, they, so. they, fell up, uh, they fell pretty short right there. So that's a rougher cycle for them. But luckily, there's uh, there's really four more of these. But, again, that. That's I agree. I, I think the format definitely showed that. I, I think we mentioned this a little bit last week, too. But the one thing I would like to see is the the overall round robin format. I think that getting the chance to play everyone rather than basing it off of essentially a coin flip, depending on what group you're in. And that could help you determine if you go on. It, not that it wasn't even really in any of the regions that I noticed, but I, I think the idea that you have all the teams play each other, that's what TI usually the format is with, with that in terms of the qualifiers. If we're going to start combining them for a major and a minor, I really think you could, you could argue that that it makes a lot of sense to just do that. And we, we can we, we can work with the schedule, I'm sure. So that's the one change I would like to see. But overall, it did blend very nicely. Uh, it was a little confusing at first when you look at the format, like, oh, wait, who goes where and what, what's happening? But now that we've had a cycle, I, I think it's, it's certainly more understanding and uh, I'm excited already for, for future cycles, but of course got to get through the actual minor and the uh, and the major itself before we get to that point. Small little tweaks are always welcome to systems like this, but I think overall they did a good job. So, And I think that shows a lot that they're willing to keep adjusting the system. And uh, I think they'll continue to do that. So look forward to it. All right, so there's uh, there's the minor coverage right there. Um, fun topic that I thought would be, uh, well, exciting to talk about and uh, a good discussion even. It's interesting timing because ESL recently, uh, this last week even, they officially announced that they're getting into the uh, – 
the world rankings game for Dota 2. And now he's getting into the game because they've actually been doing it for CSGO for, for a bit. And uh, it's been fairly successful. And again, they, they use an algorithm. They ha It's a very data-based uh, in terms of where their rankings stand. Obviously, when it comes to rankings, uh, one... It really doesn't matter in a lot of ways because you know, ultimately you still have to qualify in the Dota 2 um, circuit. Now, of course, before the DPC was introduced, rankings certainly did matter uh, to an extent, but uh, not so much anymore. It is more just a fun, fun-based topic, though, to, to go over. And uh, like I said, it was interesting that ESL decides to now get into the Dota 2 scene. And as a result, their, their current top 10 uh, has been released. So I figured it'd be fun to talk about that and then maybe give our take in terms of of uh, where we feel uh, certain teams should be. Now, it's, it, is a, it is tough, of course, just because the idea of doing international and they're not necessarily playing each other all the time. They're usually playing in their own region. Then eventually at the big lands is when they get to compete. But take it how you will. Uh, the point is really just a fun topic. And feel free to give us your take on, uh, on what you think. So uh, ESL, though, as far as their top 10 rankings go, first place... No big surprise. This is, of course, post-TI. OG number one. Uh, you have number two. You're looking at X-Liquid, the X-Liquid squad right there. At number three, you had Team Secret. Number four, LGD. At number five, Vici Gaming. The sixth position, Evil Geniuses. In seventh, you have Virtus Pro. Eighth, TNC. Uh, ninth, the new, new Team Liquid, former Alliance squad. And 10th, Beast Coast, which is, of course, the former infamous squad out of South America. How about that? A South American team breaking top 10 in the world rankings. That's interesting in itself. But there you go. That, those are the top 10 that ESL officially has. Uh, I got to ask, BSJ, what, what, what did you think when you saw this ranking? Uh, I will say out of all times of the year, this is probably the most inaccurate time of year to address rankings just because so many rosters swapped as well as like it's a fresh new season, so some of the teams aren't even playing right now. And I'd say mainly the roster swaps. Uh, I, what I want to say, I want to. I, I rather than talk about the rankings as a whole, I think they're pretty accurate. Like the top five or six are just like the top six teams that plays the TI. Like I think that's like pretty self-explanatory. Those teams are not there by coincidence. They were all kind of favorites to win TI in the first place. You know. The, this year, there were probably six or seven teams we thought were realistic champions of TI, and those six teams all placed top six, and then you know, like, and now they're ranked top six. So, like, that makes sense to me. But I want to talk about former infamous Beast Coast lineup right now, and going into this next season, you know, well, we, I've talked about South America before. Here's here's my honest to god opinion at TI. If you watch their main event, undefeated on Wraith King. Zero wins otherwise. So with that in mind, they have been nerfing Wraith King. They've been nerfing Phase Midas. They've been changing the meta. I need to be proven that this team is not just the best team in South America, but they're also good enough to win competitive Dota without Wraith King in the meta where Wraith King was very strong and Hector was the best Wraith King player in the world. This meta is becoming slowly but surely worse and worse for Phase Midas Radiance on carries. Like... Mm -hmm. Uh, he was most notably a Wraith King Lifestealer player. And I just see this ranking of top 10. And other than 8th place TI, what has this team shown? And it represents an entire region. Like the South American region's kind of been laughed at or like, you know, kind of viewed down upon for ever since they were really given slots for the majors and minors. 
And I just want to say that this team has a lot of pressure on them, a lot to prove this year. I don't know if they feel it. You know, I don't know if like they actually think about it that way. Uh, but for me, they've put themselves on my radar and now they need to prove that they have what it takes to win like across more than one patch. Like, are they just a one patch team? And uh, all these other teams have kind of proven consistently, uh, you know, like even the Alliance squad that's now liquid, even though they placed poorly at TI, like this team has consistently performed throughout the course of all last year. Yeah. Um, a lot of these teams are consistent, uh, except for Virtus Pro with TI. Not kidding. Uh, but but uh, yeah, I just I want to see it. I really these are the teams that for me, I love to watch because they could easily flop or they could easily be suddenly getting top eight at every single major. Uh, and that's the real defining moment for this region. And it's a big thing for Dota because these regions like North America and South America that are kind of just given less credit as a region. Uh, I, I want to see that being given these slots is actually paying off mm -hmm. and allowing these regions to grow and kind of catch up to the other ones. Yeah. And Beast Coast is certainly at the, in the driver's seat for, for really proving that. And I'm with you. It's, it's, I remember, you know, last season throughout and they had their great run at TI, but I just remember that's very, actually, I wasn't even aware of that stat, by the way, the fact that they were actually undefeated on Wraith King and then winless without that's, that is a sign of a one-dimensional team if I've ever seen one. Um, but overall, throughout the season, when it came to majors specifically, South American teams just were not placing uh, very well at all, getting out of the first round of the loser bracket in most cases. So I know they had a couple of runs, but um, you, you would like to think that uh, if, if they're going to be a top 10 ranked team, according to the ESL rankings, that uh, they certainly um, should be able to prove themselves and get further consistently uh, within these events. So they, for me, were one of the teams that I, I would not have in my personal top 10 right now. Uh, Virtus Pro is definitely another one. Uh, now, I know, again, when it comes to the ESL rankings, they're basing it post-TI and everything, and with the roster changes, it can get a little funky, but um, definitely would not have VP uh, in the current top 10, and I think, obviously, their recent results are uh, working with that, and throughout the season, certainly can can rank up. But uh, those two teams, to me, I, I would uh, I would definitely look to take out. And I'm on the I'm on the fence even with with X uh, X Alliance now Team Liquid. And as much of a fanboy I am of them, this is a team that consistently qualified for minors throughout last season, and then flopped in the first round of the loser bracket uh, at TI. Yeah. So I I don't know if I can justify putting them in a top ten ranking. I understand consistency is great, and they're one of these. Few teams that seems like they actually stuck together as a full roster but um that's that's what makes these rankings discussions so good because obviously it completely is in the eye of the beholder depends on how you want to really base it and for me it's like I, I try to sit here and one obviously recent results is is definitely something but just how would they be able to compete against these other teams that are around them if not ahead of them and uh i i i just don't see team liquid or x alliance still at that level uh just yet so they would kind of be the third team that would swap things around uh, for the time being. But, I, I mean, th then it goes to the question of, well, who are you going to throw up there, right? I mean, you can't just take people out and then not throw people up there. So um, I, I, I would probably bump up the – I would probably bump up the new Alliance squad. They honestly looked very good yeah. in the European uh, European qualifiers. I think Fnatic also deserves also deserves a shot uh, within top ten. And man, NIP. I understand. I don't. Results are important, but 
seeing that roster, I, I, I certainly think that they are worthy of at least a top 10 discussion uh, when it comes to rankings. But maybe with the recent results, it's hard to throw them in right now. But They're going to have they to prove that one for sure. Yeah. I think they're capable, but... Like they they weren't just losing into the Alliance Liquid squads at the at the major qualifiers. They were getting pummeled. So, you know, I want to I want to see this team grow. I think it's quite possible they have the leadership um, to do so. I just like I, like you said, like the results don't speak it. And uh, also NIP didn't do that great last season. So it kind of makes sense where they are. Yeah. All I want to say is that you have. 38 teams on this list and 38th place is 0.5 points. So what does a man got to do to get 0.75 points and put myself on the board? You know what I'm saying? I'm, Who the hell's I'm team unique? Yeah, they're on this list. And I, you know, I could, I could go home and tell my mom, mom, I'm on the list. <laughs> but, uh, I just laugh. Cause yeah, I wonder how they do these points, but you just 38th rank is, half a point so yeah i was just, I just thought that was pretty funny yeah. i have to assume it's based on results at big tournaments or something so yeah that's half a point again these and i'm also even looking through some of these rosters that they have they have demon currently playing for j storm so it's that's uh it's not the case he's their coach but uh who are they missing they have nine Mo- oh they don't have moo <laughs> moo's not on the roster for j storm yeah he's only been on the he's... team for like you know two years it's fine he's not important he's he just does his thing no that's because they saw him play for my team in wsg and they're like yeah he's he's out (laughs) he's moved on to bigger better pastures with bsj at the wsg squad dropping the major team so yeah all right this will be fun to follow though and again for discussion purposes of anything throughout the season and certainly give our take as well uh, throughout but you know that, that's also like i said the great thing about the dpc you know this isn't college football or, or former dpc even as mentioned earlier where actually these rankings act definitely mattered um it's 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 just for fun because we do have the dpc to help us get an understanding of uh where teams rank and ultimately of course ti is what uh is what matters the most so all right uh yeah we'll see i don't know how much they update that too by the way i assume it's uh at least maybe like every month or so but We'll look into that. Well, one last topic I thought would be fun to uh, fun to talk about at least, and I you know want to do this maybe in a couple of previous shows, but we ran a little bit longer. Uh, so since we got a little more time in this one, uh, I'm a statistics kind of guy. I like to look at some numbers, and it's always interesting to 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 look at these numbers in terms of when a bigger event happens. In this case, the qualifier is taking place recently, uh, specifically for the major, and this in the meta segment we'll call it where. Seeing, seeing seeing heroes that are popular, maybe some surprises that really for you as a competitive player that that, that stand out. And um, so off the bat, you have the number one picked hero. And again, this is all the regions throughout the qualifiers. Gyrocopter what was number one, 112 matches. Rubik number two at 104. And then it started going down from there. But Gyrocopter, he's the go-to core right now, it's fair to say. And there's no – well, I, I'm curious on your take initially with that as far as Gyrocopter goes. Uh, the meta is very fast, so being able to fight it in the mid game is really important. And then also any hero that can flex pick, meaning that you can put a carrier mid, is really important too. Just because, like, it's really hard to give two bad lane matchups for Gyro, but it's really easy to give him one bad lane matchup. So uh, these heroes like that naturally go up in value. It's the same thing with Kunkka. It's the same thing with Tiny. Uh, you know, one hero I thought was overvalued was Tiny. 
uh, meaning that he just keeps getting nerfed, but people pick him for the flex picks. Mm-hmm. And you see it in his win rate. He's 32 and 52 with an overall win rate of 38% across oh, 84 games. That's Ouch. like funny to me because that happened last year too. Not the, I don't remember what tournaments it was, but Tiny was like the most played hero. And yet he had like a 30% win rate. It might have been TI 8. Like it, it might have been TI 8 that that was a tournament. Um, that's bad. It's funny how people tend to go to these like safe picks. Uh, and a lot of viewers always wonder why do they do this? And I can only say that if you pick risky picks, it's just very easy to lose the game in the draft. Like you just get out drafted where the enemy team has three counter picks to your last pick or, you know, whatever. And um, that's why it's funny to me that people are forced to crutch on these like heroes that keep getting nerfed, but still can be kind of just ran in whatever position and, because what a lot of people don't realize is these heroes that can be flex picked, their variance and performance is very little. Like if you play Huskar first pick, for instance, a perfect Huskar game, he's going to perform a 10 out of 10. But like if he's countered, he's going to be like a creep, right? He's not yeah. even going to be participating in the game. But like if you get countered on Kunkka, you're still an X torrent boat, right? You're still it's going to offer team fight. Yeah, exactly. And um, the heroes that I highlight for this meta are Void, Kunkka, Abaddon, and Legion Commander. All th- all four heroes, which by the end of the comp- uh, the qualifiers were first rounded. Yep. Like every game. Like if, if they were still in the pool, they were first rounded. And all of them were picked at least 50 times with almost at least a 60% win rate. Um, and it... It's not as much to me about the win rate. They all have 60% or more win rate, Legion with 59 to be exact, but like they're first rounded. So you're picking them. They're not going to be good games for that hero specifically, and they're just winning. Um, I've said that the meta for offlaners, we talked about it with Moon Meander last week, uh, is just saves. Heroes that want to group up and save. And a lot of people think of Legion Commander as a duel, but her W, her press the attack, the thing that gives attack speed and is a strong dispel, that spell is broken. People are just maxing it, um, and people are realizing that in the as a carry position, if you have an offlaner that just trades well and doesn't die, you just lose the lane. Like, yeah. you, like the, they're just picking these offlaners that trade well and don't die. Um, a bad in Legion Omni specifically come to mind, and yeah, I'm looking forward to the nerfs on these heroes. <laughs> Void's definitely way too good. Kunkka, the only reason I'm picking is because I'm being forced to play mid in my WSG stack because we got Moo uh, for carry. So I'm like, well, I guess I got to be able to play Kunkka because uh, this hero is getting first picked with a 62% win rate across all qualifiers. So, you know, this is the kind of stuff where... Uh, these heroes define the meta. Like if these heroes are good, any hero that's not good against these heroes is bad. Like that's just how it works. Gyro is very good against all of these heroes as well. He has the ags for gyro or for the faces void, excuse me. Like when he gets chronoed, he stills like killing the void, even though he's stunned. Okay. Um, That's one of the nice reasons gyrocopter is really good against void. Um, And then with these like sustain, protect offlaners like a bad and legion suddenly you have flat cannon which is like this aoe damage um that they can't protect one guy mm-hmm. like they can't position to protect one guy and if they're like hitting the gyrocopter he's killing them so it's kind of like that's why gyrocopter not only is he viable as a first pick early on in the draft but he also is good he's good against what's good so the last thing you want to do is give the opponent a good hero that's also good against what you have. So you want to be picking these meta heroes 
like a hero will become meta because it's good against what's good. Um, and like, I think that puts gyrocopter stock like way higher um, than it would otherwise be. Uh, so it's like, and then all of a sudden you're seeing a hero like juggernaut that I don't think is very good. That was picked 47 times. And it's like, why? Cause he's good against Ju- or cause he's good against gyrocopter. Like, and Kunkka, like uh, the, you're going to see these heroes that aren't usually very good picked more simply because they're good against what's good. Yeah. And even then, yeah. he has a 40% win rate. So Yeah, and in Jug's case specifically, of course, there's also the Magnus-Jug combo that was pretty That's potent. That's true popular amongst teams but yeah i know you i think you hit around the nail that's very interesting uh, insight from you on that where the legion commander specifically was for me casting the the group stages into even a little bit of the playoffs that you could kind of tell develop into the suddenly a top tier pick in the beginning we didn't really see her i think even on day one we didn't see her at all and then by day two she started to be picked up and then all the time a bad in by the way probably the most standout stat you mentioned 11 time 11th most picked hero that is 47 and 21, that's nearly a 70% win percentage. I mean, this hero was insane and could be played in either the off lane or the uh, or even as a safe lane support. Uh, we saw it ran several times. So It's just so hard to play against. It's a hero you can't go on. Um, his kit's just innately broken in the sense that you can't go on him and he protects other people that you go on. So it just makes Dota more complicated. And when you have these qualifiers where not all the teams are tier one, um, a hero goes up in value if it makes the game harder to play for the opponent. I got to ask then, if we're, if we're talking about these heroes that maybe save, even an Omni Knight comes to mind, Io. Io's a really interesting hero right now because there was the crazy blow up at TI that carry Io became a thing, and then they nerfed the carry Io aspect, and then it just seems like Io just became an irrelevant hero for whatever reason. Yet, Gyrocopter, the number one picked hero, that's a perfect buddy for this hero. I and mean, it has been for the longest time. I was only seen five games, went five and oh, by the way, but was yeah, only did, seen 100%. five games and was rarely banned. I, I was checking on the Dota buff side. I think he got banned like maybe a total of 10 times. Are people yeah, just overlooking pretty... this hero? What the, what's going on? I don't know, man. I, I think you, if you are getting sustained from your offlaners, that makes a sustained support like naturally go down in value. And I also think in terms of like sustained farming for gyro, Io got replaced by Keeper of the Light. Um, for the mana pool, the Keeper of the Light is like the new... Didn't have a very successful qualifier, surprisingly. People were first rounding it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just interesting. It's Dota's a crazy game, man. Like, how can a hero be broken and then suddenly be ignored even though the nerfs were just a carry Io? I think... I just think Io's turned into a hero that's not good enough unless you're really good at Io. And it also yeah. takes a team to be really good with Io. Like, I'll play with Jubei and Pubs or something, and he's a really good Io player. But if the rest of our team is, like, not playing this 3-2 and two Dota that's, like, setting up the Io for success where, you know, the Io's farming one half of the map and the other three are farming the other half and the Io relocates, like... If your whole team isn't on this game plan, Io is a bad hero. Like, that's just how it is. So I think when a lot of the tier one teams are not in the picture that we talked about from last season, a hero like Io naturally goes down in value. And uh, it's not straightforward. It's not an easy hero to play with. It may seem like it, but it really isn't from a professional standpoint. And when you compare Io to a Badden, you know, on the other hand, it's like... (laughs) You know, I, I don't remember who said this to me, but a bad is like herder walk down lanes like I can't die. I think it was Moo that said that or something. He's like, yeah, he's he's like a pretty noob friendly hero. And yes. you may say, but BSJ, these tier two, tier three players, they may not be tier one, but they're not noobs. But it's like 
you know, you know, there's Why a lot not? of pressure. Like they're yeah. in a very, they're in a high stakes situation. It's like it's so nice to just be able to play a hero where you're out of position, and instead you have to pop your ulti rather than dying. And it's like uh, with Io, one bad relocate can just lose you the game. Uh, you have to play good Dota, and it just doesn't tend to happen very much in qualifiers, sadly. Yeah. But uh, like perfect Dota. Um, but yeah, so. Uh, that, that is a good point, though. I, the fact that it went five and zero is even funnier. Uh, <laughs> undefeated, right. but I like I like these stats uh, to see these heroes. That I I you kind of get this idea of like I think this hero is strong, but is it overvalued? And mm-hmm. that kind of gives you that impression when you see a hero like Coddle, who's like first rounded with a forty percent win rate, and then you have like uh, the Shadow Demons that were previously considered very strong, forty percent win rate. Uh, yep. Like th- it's interesting to see this play out. I, uh, I, truly, yeah. I truly think every team would benefit from having some kind of statistician on their team again. Not, and I know the meme, the has, you know, the, the stats don't lie and stuff and people make fun of that, but it's, it, it, it's, we're talking about tournaments that have $300,000 prize pool for minor, a million dollar prize pool for the, for the majors TI. Of course we know what that can be. There's a lot of, money on the line man like yeah. do everything you can to have this data in front of you at least that's what i, I would i would be doing and to give yourselves the best chance because yeah this, i i like to reference these when i'm casting through these bigger qualifiers especially because it, it's it is a head scratcher sometimes some of these numbers that stand out like your hero that's like 25 percent win percentage is picked like half the games it feels like you're just like maybe, maybe you shouldn't be it should be a little telling maybe it's so. time to call it quits on this this one yeah <laughs> Clinks was one and zero, by the way. The least picked hero won the hundred percent. Let's go. go. Every hero was picked is the last point to make. I think uh, throughout the qualifiers. Again, we're talking about three hundred plus games played, so not really the most surprising there. But um, every hero did get picked, including no uh, bears from uh, from Vice Frog Ursa zero and two Lone Druid zero yeah. and two Oof. <laughs> Brewmaster one and one. All the bear heroes, man. Yeah, rough. Oh, so bad rough there. Uh, Ricky was played twice and actually got to cast one of the Ricky games. Uh, that was uh, Costabile. He actually played as a carry Ricky. Yeah. Uh, it, that was interesting. Um, I saw the failure of a game they had in the, yeah. in the finals. That was, that was not a good looking game, but I'm not even going to blame the Ricky pick there. I think the draft up until that point was suspect. So uh, I hope we never see that hero to carry. That's that's my comment on that one. <laughs> All right. We'll leave it at that. All right. So fun to do that. But I think that's a good point to uh, wrap up the show. Our Wombo Combo episode number four. Going to be closing uh, closing the lights here for now. Uh, I'm turning off the lights. I guess it'd be a better way to put that. Anyways, BSJ, any last uh, thoughts? Any final words before we do? I've said plenty today, man. I'll, I'll stop talking now. Fair enough. Wombo Combo episode number four officially going to be in the books, guys. You can check us out on iTunes as well as Spotify all over the internet. We, I believe we have the YouTube channel as well. You can even see and uh, listen to it there. Let your friends know, guys. This is our fourth episode. We're, we got we got something special here. We, we're having some fun with it, and hopefully you guys are enjoying it as well. Uh, I know that's uh, weekly content for you to get when it comes to competitive Dota 2. So next week's show, certainly uh, going to be plenty more to talk about. Already looking forward to it as I'm Breaky CPK, joined by BSJ. Until next week, have a good night, guys. We'll see you then. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. 
Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.